Hello everyone, welcome to a new episode of the Sunrise on the Inside podcast, a space where we share inspiring interviews and stories from thoughtful leaders in business, health and wellness, entrepreneurship and sports. Here we talk about tools, habits, routines and tactics they use that help them feel calm, revived and rebalanced whenever they face challenges in life. I'm your host, Nico Estrella, a serial entrepreneur, former professional soccer player and co-founder of WACU. Hello, everyone. Welcome to a new episode of the Sunrise on the Inside podcast. This is episode number 18, and I have with me Emily Sorn. Emily Sorn is a registered dietitian and a health coach. She is the owner of Emily RD Nutrition Coaching, where she helps people get healthy and reach their goals through sustainable, balanced eating, no diets allowed. She is the co-host of the podcast RDs versus BS. I really loved some of the episodes that I listened from her podcast, uh, where she breaks down diets, supplements, and nutrition books to determine what's legit and what's BS. Uh, I highly recommend uh, to follow her podcast. And uh, you can learn more about Emily and her work on her website, emilysorn.com. That's E-M-I-L-Y-Z-O-R-N. Dot com. Emily, welcome to the show. Thank you so much. I'm so excited to be here. I am very excited to have you. I have a, a bunch of questions for you. I, I'm, I'm going to start um, asking you uh, for people that's just listening and from people that haven't heard from you, uh, if you can give us a little bit of, of a background of, uh, of the work that you do and uh, where you base out of and, and a little bit about that. Definitely. Yeah. So I am a registered dietitian and I started off my career working in sports. I was working at Ohio State University and the Chicago Cubs minor league for a while, then University of Illinois. And then I decided that, you know, I while I liked being a sports dietitian, I really wanted to just do my own thing. It was always a dream of mine to start a private practice where I could help people in the way that I want to and work with the people I want to work with. So I now live in Palo Alto, California, so near San Francisco. And yeah, right, you know, right when COVID started, April of 2020, I decided to start my own business, which is a little crazy, but yeah, it's worked crazy. out great. It really was. But you know, I started it virtually and I've kept it virtual the whole time because I love being able to reach people. You know, across the whole U.S., but I also had a client in Scotland, so I could work with anyone, which is cool. But yeah, the transition from working with athletes to just regular people is what I call them. Um, it's been really great because I feel like I can really relate to these people who I'm working with who are just trying to get healthy for the long term and clear up all of that overwhelm around, well, Someone told me that the ketogenic diet works best and someone else told me that I have to go vegan and this and that. So I just like helping people really figure out what it is and what it means to eat healthy for them in the long term. So like you said earlier, no diets allowed. It's all about one-on-one -on -one really personal interactions with people to help them build this way of eating that's going to last. Oh, I love it. And what what do you do you think are the main differences from working 
with athletes compared to working with uh, regular people? Uh, like, is it that athletes are more focused on like uh, performance-based nutrition um, compared to regular people that wants to lose weight or um, overall feeling healthier? Is that is that the main reason, or are there more nuances to to the different types of clients? No, that's definitely a main a main difference there that you hit on. The when working with athletes, it's pretty much all performance based. And even if we're focusing on gaining weight, losing weight, it's all under the umbrella of performance. Where now the people I work with, I you know, working with an athletic population, I had no idea what kind of an effect diets and diet culture has had on millions and millions of people because when you're working with athletes they're all in pretty pretty good shape we're just focusing on how do i have enough energy how do i eat protein so i can gain muscle things like that when transitioning to the general population i found that it's not just nutrition that people need it's also a totally different relationship with food it's learning to not be scared of food not be scared of carbs being okay with being hungry and noticing when you're full and just really teaching people how to not only eat well, but also make sure that, you know, they have a proper emotional and mental connection to food as well. Um, which to be honest is not something that we're taught in dietitian nutrition school. So I've had to go out of my way to get, you know, extra training and coaching on how to connect to people in that way. But I really do enjoy it because it makes food more of a holistic thing where it's not just eat this, don't eat that. There's a lot of pieces involved and it's fun for me to work with people putting all the pieces together. Yeah, that that makes a lot of sense. Yeah, I think I have a, a couple of questions about th those specific things, about how you work with your with your clients whenever whenever you are um, assessing them in, in nutrition. Um, but I, before we, we jump into that, I, I wanted to ask you, I know that before the call, we were talking a little bit about one time in your, uh, when, whenever you were working with sports team, um, that perfectionism got in your way. So I wanted to, to ask you to share that story with us. Yes, and this is something, if you talk to most dietitians, they'll all tell you I'm, I'm type A, I'm a perfectionist. It's just a lot of dietitians tend to be like this. So this is something that I dealt with. It, this was my first real job as a dietitian right out of grad school. And I worked for the Chicago Cubs minor league, but I worked at the lowest of the lowest levels. So this is a you know professional baseball team. There's the major leagues, and then there's five or six teams underneath in the minor league. And I was at the, the bottom. So These guys are, a lot of them were 18 years old. They'd never lived away from home before. We had guys from all over the place, athletes on the team, you know, people from the U.S., but also we had athletes from Mexico and an athlete from Panama and all over. So my typical self coming right out of school, I was all excited. A big part of my job was to plan their pre and post game meals. So I knew exactly when each game was, and I love working ahead of, you know, ahead of schedule, planning everything out. So I went ahead and scheduled a whole month of meals. So we're talking like 30 plus meals here 
of me calling caterers and setting everything up and making it the healthiest possible thing ever. We're talking like grilled chicken breast and a salad and a roasted vegetables and some brown rice and like as healthy as it gets. And I show up, this is before I'd even met anyone, any of my athletes, anyone on the team. And I show up and these guys are not eating the food. They are not into it at all. And I realized that at that moment, I realized, okay, I'm letting my perfectionism and my need to plan things so far ahead of time. That's getting in the way of me actually serving these athletes. And what I realized is like, why, why were not, they were not eating it? Well, so these are young guys who, for many of them, it was their first time in the U.S. And I was up in Oregon, in Eugene, Oregon. And, you know, they're used to eating whatever they're used to eating back home. And I was just providing them with not only ultra, ultra healthy food, which not every 18-year-old wants to eat. It was also just very Americanized food. And these guys were missing their foods from back home. And it was, I remember one of them said, I, I had um, like cold, chopped cold chicken sitting on the buffet line. And one of them came up to me and said, is this safe to eat? Because back home, they would never eat cold chicken. It just didn't make sense. So I had a lot of learning to do and realized that I need to you know, yes, I know all of this about nutrition, but if the guys are not going to eat the food, then what's the point of me being here? I need to meet them in the middle. I need to learn about their cultures. I also need to learn about, you know, maybe not having such specifically healthy foods all the time. Like, let's have a mix. Let's have some fun food thrown in there as well. Um, so it was a really big learning opportunity for me to that's where I realized how important personalization is and how there isn't one size fits all for everyone. Because yeah, if, if they all ate that food, they'd all be as healthy as possible, but they are individuals and they all have different needs and different likes. And as a dietitian, I need to be aware of that. So I've taken that lesson with me and have really internalized that with each person who I work with. I get to know them before we even decide to work together then when we work together, we're sitting for at least an hour and a half meeting initially to get to know each other. So I know them and their likes and dislikes and can cater my nutrition, in, you know, my nutritional guides to that. So it was a bad, big, expensive mistake, but it turned out OK in the long run. Yeah, that's that's a great lesson. And from from what I've um... Uh, what I've seen whenever I talk with nutritionists is that uh, that is the approach that tends to work better in the long run um, for for people to be able to stick to maybe not their diet but to their new lifestyle and their their new relationship with food is that every body is different, right? And mm -hmm. um, there's not like one diet fits all. That's that's the one that's gonna work. There's not like magic bullets that that's gonna work for everybody. So I've seen that's very important to have that um, kind of like personalization, right? Like making the the building that relationship, that personal relationship with you and your food and the food that you that you've grown up to to like and dislike, uh, and even like not even not even only about taste, right? Because there are some 
broccoli can be very good for you but uh, maybe when i eat broccoli i get bloated and my mm. body doesn't like like broccoli so uh, i think uh, th that is a, a very important lesson and i think uh, probably it, it helps you very well right now with your with your current clients right it does definitely and it's helped me just every time i work with someone i use what they are already doing as a template Like we go through their whole typical day of eating and instead of just wiping it all off and saying, no, this is your new grocery list now. You have to throw away everything in your kitchen. It's like, no, let's use what you're already doing. I'm sure there's some for probably 99.9% of the world, like what you're eating now, there's some good things there that we can work with. Um, you know, not everyone has to like broccoli specifically or beets or this or that. There's a million vegetables out there we can be personalized and, and make it work for a person. And that's how it's going to last long-term, not telling them you can't eat this and you have to eat this, those kind of things. They just don't last. Yeah, totally. And um, how was your journey of starting your own company? Me, me being an entrepreneur, I know how hard it is and uh, It takes it take that takes a lot of courage to leave uh, a well-paying job to start your own thing. There's so much uncertainty. There's so many variables, and you starting your business in during during the pandemic times, like one of the craziest times that we've been through as as, as a whole as a society. So, how was that that journey for you like? Yes. So. It didn't come without challenges, right? I mean, this was, I guess, two and a half years ago when I started. And what kind of kept me going the whole time was the bigger picture and the outcome of what matters most to me is that I can help people in the way I want to help them and that I have freedom, freedom of my time, freedom to travel, see family, friends, things like that. So, you know, I'll talk about my challenges, but Throughout all of the challenges, it was helpful to have that overarching view of this is why I'm doing this. But when I first started off starting my business, you know, I thought the challenges would be finding clients and how do I set up my business and how do I even work with people, all of that. What I didn't expect was that the biggest challenge for me was getting in my own way. It was really more of an you know, emotional challenge. It brought up all sorts of things that I'd never experienced before, like a lot of anxiety, even some depression going from, you know, working in sports and athletes. I'm around people 24 seven to now I only see people on Zoom, which was crazy. And I didn't expect these challenges to be, you know, so emotional and mental, but I wouldn't trade it for the world because I've learned so much about myself throughout it. Like, yes, it was a big switch. Yes, it's stressful to go from this is your salary to all of the money you make, you need to go out there and promote your business, promote yourself. That's extremely stressful. But, you know, those challenges that on top of the perfectionism, which I had before, right, you can't be a perfectionist and, and an entrepreneur, like you need to be okay with putting out B plus work instead of A plus, like just it's okay to not have everything be perfect. It's really helped me grow as a person in a way that 
you know, working in my salary job as a sports dietitian, that helped me grow in one way, but yeah, definitely just learning about more about myself throughout this process has been very interesting. And, you know, when I share things with people, I try to be as open and honest as possible because a lot of people I work with or who are interested in nutrition have that, um, you know, emotional eating, stress eating side of things. And I experienced that, you know, with all the ups and downs of the emotions over the past few years. Um, yeah, I definitely experienced that myself. So I think it informed my ability to help others in that way as well. So I'm going yeah. to say that you were getting in your own way. Um, what do you mean? Like what, what were some of the things that you were doing um, to get in your own way? Yeah, so it was definitely, I think the biggest thing was the fear of being seen. And I never quite understood what that meant. I'd heard people say that before, like, oh, that fear of being seen and people seeing you. And obviously to run a successful business that I do, which is, you know, it's a service industry. Like I am the one working with people. You need to be seen. Um, in all my other jobs, it was just something where, you know, I was always kind of in the background. I was doing my own thing, but I wasn't stepping into myself and saying, you know, this is who I am. This is my voice. And these are my opinions. Um, something that really got to me was on, you know, I have an Instagram and I started putting my nutrition opinions out there and people were just like shutting it down left and right and saying like, dietitians are idiots. And I can't believe like, what do you like, why do you say that? And all of this. And initially it just made me shut down. And I said, well, if, if I can't please everyone, then I can't, you know, I'm not going to do anything. And that was getting in my own way of growing and realizing it's okay to have an opinion, just back it up. Right. And for me, a big thing is like backing it up with science. Cause that's what dietitians do. Like everything's science-based. So just not being afraid to put myself out there and put my opinions out there where before I definitely was afraid of it. And that was getting in my own way of reaching people and having success. And what, what do you think was like maybe a practice that you, that you acquired or how, how were you able to overcome that fear of being seen? Do you remember like there was, a particular, I don't know, a mentor that, that helped you through or um, some practice that you started to implement in your day-to-day? -day. Because I know that overcoming that fear, uh, I bet it was not like something that happened like from day to night, right? I, I bet it was kind of like a, a process that, that, you, that you went through. So how, how was that like for you? Yeah, definitely. So I have had a, you know, quite a few mentors since starting this journey, but one really stood out to me. She's actually a social worker and I was, you know, working with her in a, you know, pseudo coaching therapy way for about six months. And she really got to know me. And at one point she's very direct and just looked at me and said, you need to lighten up. You need to stop caring so much about everything and being such a perfectionist and just lighten up. And at the time I was really kind of offended. Like, what is, what does that mean? But I wrote it on a post-it note and I put it, you know, right behind my, um, right behind my computer. So I looked at it every day 
And one day it just kind of clicked. Like I am creating this own, I don't want to use like this own experience of my life. I don't have to react this way to all of these things. And when I realized I had that power, then it just kind of switched. It changed things for me to realize that, okay, let's put what I'm doing into the perspective of the grand scheme of things. Um, You know, what I do is important, but this isn't life and death. This isn't like, I'm not doing brain surgery on anyone. Like we're just talking nutrition here. So I just set it aside. And something that another mentor told me is like, when I'm scared of something and I just, I know I have to do it. I have an actual like rock that I will pick up and just set it aside. And I'm like, I'm setting this fear aside for right now. I can pick it back up when I need to, but I'm doing this, I'm setting it aside. And that just fits physical action really helped me. It's so silly. A physical rock. And you put it actual rock, putting it aside, like this is my fear and I'm putting it aside for now and it's not gone forever. I'm going to pick it up again, but I'm putting it aside. And that helped that it really, it's, it's so silly. (laughs) Probably taking, taking a little bit, a little bit of weight of that fear, uh, Mm -hmm. because maybe like you can think like overcoming a fear can feel overwhelming, right? But mm-hmm. if you frame it in that way of like, okay, I'm just gonna put it uh, away for 10 minutes, 15 minutes, one hour, whatever time you're gonna do that, feels less overwhelming. So I, I, I love that. I can see that definitely working. Yeah, yeah, it's yeah. working. And I but... think what you said really, really resonates with me because it's also like one of the one of the phrases that I love the most is. Uh, is a phrase that's kind of like control what you can control, mm-hmm. right? And um, we can't control the opinions of other people, and we can't control um, what everybody is gonna be thinking after we put out content or after we we do anything. But what we can control is, as, as what you said, like how much effort you put into that content and. Um, how much uh, research did you do to come up with the opinions that you have? And as you said, like how you back it up with science. Like in, in my case, uh, we have a beverage company, right? And mm-hmm. um, beverages, beverages like are built on taste, basically. It can be like super healthy, zero sugar. It can like check all the marks, but if it doesn't taste good, you can't be, build a big company, basically. But uh, I, I, I remember that at the beginning, I used to stress so much about like making the perfect beverage for everybody to taste. And I would take it so personally uh, whenever somebody would taste Waku. I, I re- like we used to do a lot of demos at the beginning in the stores uh-huh. and like go to grocery stores. And it was me, my co-founder, pouring a lot of samples and just like learning what the people thought about the product. And we would have people that would literally try the product and spit it in like in front of us like just saying no. like oh my god this is so gross how can you be selling this and i remember that at the beginning that was like whoa it was like in, like they, they would do it in front of you so i, I would take those things kind of personally and i would at the beginning would le- I, I would let to I, I would let those things to get into my head right mm-hmm. um but I, i've learned to be okay with Waku is not for everybody. It's mm. not gonna please everybody. Um, what I can do is like I can do my best work 
and, and my best efforts to create an authentic brand. Uh, uh, I can build a community of people that do like the product and focus on the people that, that do like the product and serve them better instead of trying to please the people that, that didn't like the product. Um, so that phrase of like controlling, like figuring out and controlling what you can control is, is very important. If you are an entrepreneur, if you are trying anything hard, I think it's a, a key a key skill to to develop and and also like what you said of like um being like you are also in control on how you react to things mm-hmm. right you're probably probably not, not, not you're not in control of like what the people is gonna say to you or what what people is gonna think about you but um you you can decide whether to let that affect you or not. Yes. And I, I think I just, I, I just heard also uh, uh, somebody was talking in another podcast saying like um, something around the lines like don't give that people the privilege of affecting your mood or affecting your energy or affecting your yourself because it's like that's a power that you give to other people and somebody's rude to you or, or somebody just like hates on what, what you're doing. I think that's like, we have the power to don't let that affect us, right? Mm. So I, I really resonate with, with what you just shared. I Thank love it. Thank you. Gosh, yes, that's all so true. But it, and it's also easier said than done, right? It took me a long time to realize that and then to actually make it happen in my life. I think, yeah, yeah. Yeah, I'm glad you can relate with that. And I'm sure many people can too. I think with time, you also gain some confidence in your product. Like for you and your beverage, you know that there are countless people out there who've tasted tasted it, who love it, who buy it. They're your people. Um, same with me that, you know, I it's okay for me to be myself, go about nutrition the way that I want to, because that's going to attract my people. And that's okay, right? I don't, we can't be everything for everyone. I think it's sometimes I don't realize how big the world actually is. And if one or two people are, they turn me down or they say, I don't like your approach. I don't agree with you. It feels like everyone in the world is being like that. But the more you, you know, sell your drinks or I you know, sell my coaching, you realize the effect you can have on people. And that just helps build the confidence. So yeah, if anyone's no, yeah, listening I, who's early on entrepreneurs, like stick with it. It does get easier. I would say at yeah. least emotionally for me, it did. And, yeah, and, and I think also like competence builds confidence, right? Like yes. the more you do what you're doing and the more you perfect your craft, the more confident you're going to feel like, right? And um, I think for for us has been very important um con- consistently improving what we are doing right because like the the formula that we have right now and, and how the product looks right now this is like the sixth seventh iteration of the of the formulation and the product so mm-hmm. it's very very different from like what we had at the beginning um so yeah for us it was like okay we're not gonna let those people the, the haters they bring us down but for sure we're gonna listen to the feedback right and we're gonna listen to like okay we might be able to change some things and like whenever it's constructive it's useful right uh, mm-hmm. uh, but i think like not 
not letting those things get into your head and like don't let not not letting those things just like stop you from keep going i think it's it's a very important skill to master Mm -hmm. yep never giving up until i always do sit back every once in a while and think are the pros outweighing the cons with this the pros of owning my own business of doing things my way having the you know freedom flexibility is that outweighing the cons of the stress and the, I don't know where, you know, I don't have a set salary, things like that. And yeah, I think as long as the pros are outweighing the cons and keep doing what you're doing. Right. I agree. I agree. Um, so, okay, Emily, I want to jump now into a little bit uh, nutrition talk. And um, I know that in your podcast, you talk a lot about some uh, diets or fads or supplements or like a lot of like nutrition things that some of them are lies and like are, are things that don't work and some things that that do work mm-hmm. so first I, I wanted to start asking you if there are three types of diet or nutrition advices that are very popular today uh, but you consider them to be uh, bs mm-hmm that so, some that come to your to your mind of the latest ones that you've that you've heard about. Yes, I'm writing a couple down. You might you might have to cut this out. I'm trying to think of three good ones. Um, yeah, it can be two as well. Okay, I have two really good ones, so we'll do that. We'll start with that. See if I come up with another. Yeah, so the first thing that comes to mind is the whole idea around the alkaline diet where, and you'll see this most at stores where people are trying to sell pH water and they say, oh, this has, this is a nine plus pH, meaning it's basic and it's not acidic and that the more acidic our body is, the more disease prone we are. That's been a you know really big push with some people. And that was an easy one to debunk for us. Like there, we have a, we have a episode on the alkaline diet. If you really, first off, the alkalinity in your body is really, really closely um, managed by your body. And if our body ever got too acidic or too basic, then we would just break down. So the fact that our food Sorry to interrupt, but like, what what does it mean to that if something is alkaline or uh, alkalinic or or basic for for us to who don't know? Yes, sorry, I just jumped into the sciency jargon there. So seven is a neutral pH. So seven is water. It is neither alkaline nor acidic. So got it. Alkaline and basic are the same thing. So I'll just keep saying alkaline instead of basic. So seven is neutral. Seven means it's like water. It's neither alkaline nor acidic. The lower you get, so if you get to a pH of four, three, two, that's very acidic. So that's like lemon juice, I think is a pH of two. But then when you get up, so like eight, nine, 10, 11, those are more alkaline pHs. So people are arguing that we need to drink alkaline water. We need to eat an alkaline diet to push us more up into the 8, 9, 10 
pH. What are some things that have that type of pH? So milk and dairy is one that comes to mind. Um, but yeah, check out if people are interested in learning more about it, check out the, the alkaline diet podcast or episode because it goes beyond just, you know, not eating any acidic food, like no lemons and tomatoes and all of these things. But it's, it's really, yeah, it, it's a whole list of kind of crazy claims. So that's right. one that you don't have to worry about it. Because as soon as you eat something, it's going into the acidity of your stomach anyway, and it's getting neutralized. So don't uh, spend yeah, your money on alkaline water. I was about to ask you if like, is it harmful to, to follow that? Or it's just like, that it just doesn't work because your body just like will process the food anyways. Yeah. It's just a waste of money. Got it. It's pretty okay. much it. They're charging four or $5 for a bottle of water that is just going into your stomach and becoming, you know, neutralized anyway. So. Got it. Yeah. Okay. I love it. And what was the second one? Yeah, so the second one is a mo one of our most recent episodes. We looked into the medical medium. Have you heard about him before? No, 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 okay. I haven't heard of that. Yeah, so he's this guy who he's basically he's not a doctor, he's not a dietitian, but he's giving out nutrition advice based on pretty much he says like a spirit talks to him and he gives out nutrition advice based on what they say. And his thing is celery juice. So if anything's wrong with you, drink celery juice. If, you know, you have diabetes, drink celery juice. If you have arthritis, drink celery juice. Like this is going to heal everything. And it sounds crazy. You know, we're laughing. Like this sounds crazy. Who would believe that? But people, he is compelling. Like people love this guy. And they're believing anything he's saying And it's mm. kind of hurting. It's hurting some people. You know, yes, some people say that their thyroid is being healed by his, you know, ways. But it's just, it's so opposite of what, of everything that I've, that I've grown to believe, which is, you know, follow the science when possible and when not, like, make the best decision as possible to help people nutritionally. And this guy's just so out of left field that... Yeah, it just makes me sad when people kind of latch onto these things and they feel like, well, this is my only path. Like, this is my only way to help is this super, you know, crazy radical idea. When in reality, I mean, my philosophy is all about making nutrition as simple as possible. It's not about like cutting out a million things and doing a cleanse and this and that. It's like, how how can we make this as easy, but as effective as possible? So Yeah. So we get in the podcast, we look into a lot of guys like, you know, medical medium or other doctors who are saying like, you can't eat any grains, you can't eat any gluten. And the truth is like, there's so much science showing the exact opposite. It's just, it's BS. Yeah. It gets the BS think, stamp, like we say I in our you, podcast. What do you think is about like, some people do having some results with the with drinking celery juice do you think it's like just pure uh, what's the, what's the word for that the placebo placebo yeah do you yeah. think it's just like placebo effect or just like the power of the mind healing their bodies and like they truly truly believe and like have a lot of faith in like that, that's gonna work for them and that's what they 
why they get better uh, or or is it something else and like there is something going on with the celery juice that we don't know about sure so i think both right i'm always i don't want to make it seem like if science says one thing it can never change because that's not true you know like eggs they used to say don't eat a lot of eggs because of cholesterol now we're saying it doesn't matter how much cholesterol you eat it's the saturated fat things change but yeah i i think it also has to do with the fact you know what i preach all the time is that different approaches work for different people if drinking celery juice helps someone feel better in some way great do we know if it's the placebo or if it, there's no scientific research showing that it's the celery juice so for now it could be either we don't really know If they're feeling better, that's great. But that doesn't mean that based on this wishy-washy observational data that now celery juice is like the cure, the prescription for everything for every person in the world, right? So I don't think we can ignore the, um, we can't ignore a couple of things. There's a lot of power to the placebo effect, but there's also a lot we don't know about nutrition. But as a dietitian, we have to make, we have a code of ethics to follow. And one of them is you can't just make crazy claims in order to sell stuff. Um, You have to make all of your recommendations based on science or good judgment. So to see people just going out there saying whatever they want, it's um, just a bit disheartening because it's really easy for people to latch onto that and to believe that's the truth. And then they get confused when someone else tells them the exact opposite. So yeah. there's a lot of confusion out there. Yeah, and probably they can also get discouraged because they tried that thing that they believed so mm-hmm. with all their minds and then it doesn't work. So they can believe that nothing will work on them. And so they don't even try again. Uh, so yeah, I can, I can see how that can create a lot of harm. And I think it like talks a little bit about what you were saying, right? Like all that diet or what diet culture has done and like the relationship that society has with food uh, and not not being able to discern that something like that can be dangerous because you'd never learned how to relate with food so mm-hmm. you don't have the tools uh, necessary to filter out those those things right yes. um, so yeah I, I think that's why it's so important the the job that that you are making and that putting out this podcast I, I i really like that that you're putting out that content because i think uh, that's very important that's a very important thing to do so thank you for that emily oh yeah it's it's fun it i have a co-host on my podcast and we have a lot of fun together she's another dietitian she's a little more fiery than i am so she brings the <laughs> yeah brings a lot of passion to the conversation i love it and then on the other hand what do you think are some types of also like diets or nutrition advice or, or, or guides um, that you think should have more attention uh, or more people should be should be trying out? Um, does something come to come to mind? Yeah, two things do. Two things do. So this will be this is kind of my just approach with nutrition in general is that we don't have to be 100% on all the time in order to get healthy. 
And that sounds logical, but 80% of the people I talk to, they feel like it's the all or nothing. So either I'm all in doing a diet or I'm eating anything I want and I feel like crap. So, I mean, this isn't very radical, but for some people it is. If you're going to put, you know, focus into nutrition, there's two things that you really want to make sure you're focusing on. One is balance between, you know, healthy options and not so healthy options. And two is making sure that you are eating enough of the healthy stuff throughout the day. So I'll start with the balance first. What I tell people to do is try to aim for about 80-20. So 80% of the time, eat the healthy stuff. Eat, you know, whole grains and lean protein, fruits, vegetables, nuts, grains, beans, all that good stuff. If you could stick to that 80% of the time, it's okay to have chocolate cake and chips and beer and wine, whatever you like. Just keep it to 20%. So you don't have to feel like a failure if you go to a birthday party and have two slices of cake and three pieces of pizza. That's okay. Chalk it up to the 20% and the next day eat 80% food. So helping people get in that mindset of it's okay. You're not a failure for eating, you know, half a bag of chips. It's one time. Just balance it out. Um, And then the second thing that I was saying was just spreading your intake out throughout the day so that you never get too hungry. This is really powerful and more, you know, I know intermittent fasting, which is another episode that we do on the podcast, it's gotten a lot of um, traction lately. And I understand why it works really well for some people. So if you like intermittent fasting, if it's working for you, go for it. But I want to make sure that people are eating enough throughout the day so they don't get to the end of the day at 10 p.m., have not eaten enough throughout the whole day, and then we usually go to bed at 11, but we're really, really hungry. And so at that point in the day, it's a lot easier to just say, okay, I'm going to eat whatever I have in my house, chips, ice cream, whatever. I'm just going to eat it all. And you overeat and you eat more calories than you would have if you've just eaten regularly throughout the day. So I always really encourage people, eat enough throughout the day, pay attention to your hunger, make sure you're getting enough protein. If you're hungry, protein is really good for getting rid of that hunger. So keep that in mind. And then, you know, one more thing I'd recommend for people. So typically, I'm not a huge supplement person. I try to recommend that people get things from, you know, food whenever possible, but If I were to recommend one supplement, for most people, it would probably be omega-3s. And that's just because we need a lot of it, you know, up to a thousand milligrams per day. And the only real great source of it is from fatty fish. And I don't eat a whole lot. Like you'd have to eat probably three or four servings per week to get enough. And I don't, I barely eat salmon once a month. So that's. I, I, I missed it. What, what was the name of that supplement? Omega-3. So fish oil. Fish Got oil, it. you can also get it from algae. Um, if you're vegan or vegetarian, you don't have to get it from fish oil. But yeah, omega-3s are, are really um, important. What is, what is omega-3 good for? Yeah, so we have a whole 
we have an episode for everything. We have an episode on fish oil, podcast episode, but in general, it's really good for um, anti-inflammatory properties. It also, if you have high triglycerides, which is like fat in your blood, taking large doses of omega-3s can actually help that come down. Um, mm. There's a little bit of research around you know heart health and omega-3s. So yeah, it's just something. And it's also, it's called an essential it's an essential fat, meaning it's something that the body needs, but we don't make it in our body. So we have to get it from food. So if you're not eating enough in the form of, you know, mostly healthy fat, fatty fish, um, your body can't just make it. So it's something we really need. Got it. Got it. Awesome. Emily, thank you so much for that. Um, yeah, you're welcome. My next question was going to be regarding, um, some of the approaches that uh, your most successful clients have. So with your with your practice, I bet that you probably have a lot of different types of clients, right? And probably some of them end up um, achieving uh, their, their nutrition goals better than other clients. Um, so my question there was like, what have you seen that are some of the traits or some of uh, the things that the clients that have more success do that the ones that uh, can't reach their nutrition goals uh, don't. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Have really- identified some of some of those traits. Yeah, really good question. So especially with my approach, which is let's empower people to make healthy decisions that help them stick with it for a long time. The number one thing would be patience. So diet culture has taught us that if you eat this way, you will lose five pounds in a week, right? That is not the case with how I approach things. It's all very slow and steady. So people who are open to being patient, who are open to trying new things and are really good at just focusing on one thing at a time, tend to see better results over time. So for most of my clients, depends on the person, but most of them, you know, session by session, we're focusing on one or two changes. I'm not trying to change 25 things at once. That's crazy. Instead, what we do is, okay, we know there's all these things we want to work on. Let's really narrow it down and say, for these next two weeks, if you can focus on drinking 80 ounces of water per day and eating protein at every meal, if we just focus on those things, really simplify it, and then they're able to stick with it for two weeks, it becomes a habit. We add another nutrition habit on top of that. So yeah, so I would say the people who are open to a slow and steady approach, they're patient. And they're also open to trying these things and really not letting the two focuses turn into, oh, well, I also want to run an hour a day. And I also want to do this and that. It's like, no, really, really focused. Those are the people who see success over time. And and yeah. that it sticks. I like that. Yeah, because probably it it's it has to do a lot with uh, building momentum, right? And like whenever you start to have those small wins in your day to day, definitely helps your mindset and saying like, okay, I did this. I can do a little bit more. Uh, similar to what would like when you go to the gym or when you start exercising. Um, I've seen that approach really, really, really work. Like in in my case, I I, I used a similar approach to exercise um, and mm-hmm. 
for me it was like kind of hard because i i used to play professional uh, professionally soccer when i was uh, young so when i was 18 uh, um, 18 years old i was playing soccer and i was playing in a very high level training every day for two or three hours a day going to the gym like i was in a very good shape when i stopped playing i went to college and i started to work uh, there was a period when i completely stopped uh, any type of physical activity mm -hmm. and i think that for me the challenge was that i had kind of like that approach right i was like okay if i'm not going like all the way and like having like a very intense training it doesn't matter like i don't want to i don't want to train so it was kind of like all in or nothing mm -hmm. uh, mentality uh, so every time i would say like okay this new year's resolution i am going back to the gym, I'm going to start exercising again. I would start with like putting myself like super high standards of like, okay, I'm going to run a marathon on the summer. I'm going to be exercising one hour every day for the, for the next week. And like, I would do that for the first five days, for the first couple of weeks. And then I would stop because of course I don't have the time that I had at that point because I, at that point, the only thing I would do is play soccer, right? So mm -hmm. I have a business now. I have a lot of a lot of things that are that are in my day to day that I that I need to balance with with exercise. So the approach that I had this year was starting slow, as you say, starting with little things and putting myself more realistic goals for myself. So literally, started. I, I was doing the numbers the other day because I I got a a, a tracker. To, to track the exercise. I've been tracking my exercise nice. during this whole year. And I was doing the numbers and I and I saw that on January I exercised four days of the month. That was like mm -hmm. the first the first month of the year. But it was one day per week. I I, I set myself that goal of like okay I'm I'm gonna go for a 20 minute run one day every week. That's mm -hmm. that's the goal. It was like super easy to achieve. I was like there is no excuse for me to not achieve that. It's like an easy thing to do. Mm -hmm. So I started with that January and slowly I started to increase. Like I, like I got July and I've been exercising 15 days per month. So mm -hmm. three days per month. Nice. So it, it's, been, it's been growing slowly, right? And like this month I've realized that I feel way more energetic than at the beginning of the year. So I feel, mm -hmm. okay, I want to exercise for more time because every time that I, now I kind of like my body craves the, the exercise time and I've been able to build that, like that routine into my day. Uh, so now like I, ha I know that like I have spots during the day that, okay, this is like kind of like my sacred time for exercising and mm -hmm. I'm going to go for a 20 minute run plus 20 minutes of weight training in the gym and uh, it, it's been evolving right but now I feel I can start putting more things into the mix and don't feel discouraged and because I know that the habit is back and the habit is there yeah. uh, so I think it, it was because of like approach an approach like that like getting small wins and like building on top of the small wins uh, yeah. it compounds and it 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 really helps you to stick with new habits and stick with new mm. new healthier routines. A hundred percent. Yes. And if anyone's listening and thinking this is really interesting and something I want to try, I'd recommend reading the book Atomic Habits. That's really 
I don't know if you've read that, um, but it changed my completely changed my view on this approach and also how I can help other people do this through nutrition. So it's exactly what we've been talking about. Um, but it's a it's a fantastic book. So if anyone is interested, it's worth a read. Love it. Awesome, Emily. Thank you so much. It's been really, really interesting, this conversation. I've, I've enjoyed it a lot. And for people that's listening and want to learn more about the content that you put out and the work that you are doing, what's the best way for them to connect with you and to, go, to connect with the content that you put out? Definitely. So most of what I do is on Instagram. So my handle is Emily underscore RD underscore. And, you know, I put out nutrition tips and reels and posts and all sorts of stuff. So check that out. Um, I've been mentioning the podcast a lot, RDs versus BS. That's on, you know, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, anywhere you get your podcasts. And then I'd also say just my website, emilyzorn.com. A lot of information on there on, you know, what I do one-on-one -on -one, group coaching. Um, I'm really excited about a course that's coming out in just a few weeks now. And it's all about what we were talking about, the building up slow habits, but it's a self-guided online course and it's very affordable. You know, one-on-one -on -one coaching can cost a lot, but this course is you know, pre-sales or $50 and then it goes up to 80. Like it's very affordable, but it is my habit program put into a course with a video and ebook workbook so people can do it on their own. I just want to reach more people because I'm only one person and I can't, you know, one-on-one -on -one meet with everybody. So really excited about that, but that's going to be coming out um, end of November. So super excited. Info on that is on my website. I'll make sure to put all those links in the show notes uh, and we'll share those in the newsletter as well. I think like this is the this is a great time to start learning about those how how to start implementing healthier habits, right? Because I know that uh, New Year's has that type of energy that once mm -hmm. one, like everybody is pushed to like put the New Year's resolutions and there is all that energy around. And I think that if you have the the right basis. Uh, you will have better chances to actually achieving those New Year's resolutions that you uh, put out for yourself. So we'll we'll make sure to to share share all that, Emily. Thank you so much. Thank you. It was such a pleasure being on your podcast and speaking with you today. So thank you for having me. Loved having you here, Emily. Hope you have a great night. Thank you. Bye -bye. You too. Bye. Hello, everyone. This is Nico again, and just a few more things before you take off. If you'd like to be part of the Waku tribe to be the first one to know about the launch of exclusive flavors, special promotions, and content about health and wellness, just go to livewaku.com, that's L-I-V-E-W-A-K-U.com, and sign up for our email list. And if you sign up, I hope you enjoy being part of our community.